What is going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Orange Slices. I'm your host, Heath Pierce, alongside my co-host, Mark McKenzie, who's getting more and more settled in to life in Belgium. And uh, before I ask Mark anything, I just want to say thank you to all the people that have subscribed and shared and given us a rating. And if you haven't yet, make sure you do all of those things. Helps us get found uh, and build this big old army of, of soccer fans that we're trying to build here uh, around the world. Um. Yeah, it's been it's been fun though. Nah, man. It's each episode gets better and better. So, uh, so hopefully, you know, Heath hair can continue to to get better and better because it's it's pretty bad right now. Um, but to reiterate, make sure that you guys go out and subscribe to wherever you get your podcast from. Subscribe to Orange Slices and leave a review. We needs that. We needs that. Yeah, and also I I haven't had a haircut since this whole you know, pandemic thing started. I shaved it once and it's just grown back. So I'm being actually safe by not going to get my hair cut. So your criticisms are actually a compliment. So I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, and look, uh, look, let's talk about our guest. This is this, this for me, you know, might not mean as much for you, Mark, but for me, this means the world. Uh, Kobe Jones, you know, this guy is a legend. He's the most capped male national team, uh, men's national team player ever. And obviously involved, I live in L.A. now, and he is sort of an L.A. legend, sort of raised here, played for the Galaxy. I had his jersey growing up. Uh, you know, I never got a chance to play with him in the national team, but everything about him was was somebody that I looked up uh, to being, and now we get to have him on. And more importantly, he's trying to do great for the game uh, and running for U.S. Soccer Vice President, and, he, and he's got a lot of cool things from what I hear that he wants to be able to change and implement and grow to give uh, more opportunity on this. So, you know, personally, I'm excited to have him. Yeah, well, well, I'm excited in a different way because, again, it's, well, not in a different way necessarily, but, but in a similar but different way because, uh, again, being being a U.S. soccer player now, you know, being a part of that legacy of players that come through the system, you know, wanting to play in World Cups, you know, like he did. And again, he's the most capped men's national team player of all time. And every young footballer wants to to be that, you know. So to be able to have the opportunity to speak with him, pick his brain and hear what he's got going on is is amazing, you know. But, but from another perspective of him being a black player, having that, you know, in the national team is something that, that helps me continue to push on because I know guys before me did it. And, and that's what gives me the motivation to, to be that for for another young player coming up. Um, and then thirdly, you know, he's, he's running for VP now, but he's got a lot, like you said, a lot of, of really important um, issues that he wants to tackle and, and um, plans that he wants to put into place, you know, and, and some of them, you know, being representation and whatnot. So, you know, I'm really excited to, to, to dive more into the conversation and, and really hear from him. Well said. Now let's enjoy a slice of the soccer life with Kobe Jones. All right, well, let's welcome in our guest, U.S. Men's National Team and L.A. Galaxy legend, National Soccer Hall of Famer, part owner of Angel City FC and candidate for U.S. Soccer Vice President Kobe Jones. Kobe, what's going on, man? Uh, a few things here and there, Heath. Not too much. <laughs> not, not, <laughs> not too much. Well, it, it, it turns out you're quite busy at the moment uh, running for U.S. Soccer Vice President. So I guess let's get straight into that. Tell us a little bit about uh, the why um, that you're running. Yeah, well, the the why is pretty simple for me. I, I look back at over this year and just seeing a lot of the social issues that we had, and I felt this was the right time, you know, to step up and you know be a part of that change that we all talk about. When I looked at, you know, what 
the possibilities are and what we can do within U.S. soccer. I would love for U.S. soccer to be more representative of the country. Now, when we look at U.S. soccer and, and the national teams, yes, we see, you know, a very diverse, you know, group that's representing the U.S. But when you look at every other level of U.S. soccer, when you go to, to these meetings, you see that it, that isn't consistent across the board. And, you know, hopefully for me, I would like to be able to step up and, and bring my platform with me, which is that representation and access, you know, along with the advocacy, because the, it's very important, that last part, advocacy, because I would love to go in there and, and be part of that representation and create access. But if I'm not advocating for others to step forward as well in the long run, that does nothing because it can be a one and done. And that's the last thing we want. So I think it's extremely important that we look at this, you know, from the perspective that we have a, um, a governing body that is representative of the governed. And when we talk about that, that's everybody within U.S. soccer in this country. And I think it's important to get those diverse backgrounds, you know, that we're talking about. We're getting, you know, people from, you know, not only black people, but brown people, you know, people with, uh, you know, women involved as well, but just having, you know, different views, different experiences. And if we have this, I, I like to say, if we have this representation, you know, of what the country is, we get a di more diverse makeup. We get people with diverse outlooks. We get people with a diverse backgrounds, you know, diverse experiences, you know, diversity of thought, you know, and all these things are important for U.S. soccer going forward, because then it allows us to have a different take on the problems at hand and maybe a different view of how to fix these problems. I'd love to hear more about just some of the things that you want to, if there's any specific examples of things you want to change. Obviously, we hear all the time, just in politics in general, right? We're just inundated with information about things people are going to do that very they very rarely actually do in order to sell a campaign or sell an idea. What are some things that you actually want to focus on if you were to win? Well, what, one of the biggest things, you know, for me is that representation, you know, I, and, and access. And when we talk about the access, it's, it, it, we, I'm sure everybody's heard of it, the, the pay to play, you know, and how you have the barriers to entry in underserved communities. You know, that's a big problem. That's a massive problem. Now, look, I'm, I'm not a burn it all down kind of guy and, you know, and just get rid of the whole system and start from scratch. But I think that we can maybe, can we build something side by side? You know, can we get something uh, next to the pay to play where there are options, you know, within the underserved communities when you have issues where where kids can't afford, you know, to play the game? You know, that's that's a big problem. You know, I, I, I've heard from and this was a shock to me. <laughs> Let me tell you guys, this was a shock when I was hearing that it's like two thousand to five thousand dollars, you know, just to play, you know, at, at these higher clubs and higher levels. I, I that's unattainable for a lot of people. You know, so for me, what I what I would like to see is can we partner up with the different groups that are already at hand? We, we know that the U.S. Soccer Foundation is one group that goes into the underserved communities and tries to bring access to the game and develop programming. I think we continue to fund there and build upon that. No more lawsuits. <laughs> no more lawsuits. Let's all be friends. You know, I think everyone's friends now, but can we build upon that relationship? You know, can we look at the Innovate to Grow Fund, you know, that is out there that where it allows, you know, the different um, associations to, you know, tap into funding from U.S. soccer, where you can put those funds towards working towards inner city groups, you know, not only subsidizing opportunities for young, young kids, but can it also, as I've talked to different, different associations, 
And one of the things I want to do is talk about best practices. One of the practices I heard that was fantastic is can we use some of those funds towards hiring local, hiring an individual that knows the local community there and what that community needs so you can tap in to those underserved communities so you can break down those barriers. So you can tap in to the unaffiliated clubs and individuals and bring them into the U.S. soccer fold. And for me, you do that and you give, and, and this is another thing I'm kind of pairing up there, you, you give the backing of U.S. soccer there and use the badge. That badge is very powerful as you see all the players grab it when you're scoring a goal. Well, can we use the badge in some way, even if it's supporting putting a badge on a field or being putting it in a underserved community on a field that we, that we redevelop? All of a sudden there's like, Oh yeah, I grew up with that. I'm loyal to that. I like that. You know, these are all the little things that I think that we can do, you know, and hopefully, or I can do and hopefully implement, you know, if I get into the position. Yeah. And, and to kind of, kind of go off of that, you know, I look in, like, for example, in other sports, take basketball, for example, and how prevalent uh, inner city, how prevalent basketball is in inner city communities um, and how a lot of these, these um, bigger, bigger organizations or even individuals are, are constantly going back and, and providing opportunities. Um, and and as, a, as a black player who came up um, in a community where, everything but soccer is, is is seen as the way to go you know it's it's endearing for me and exciting for me you know to to hear that because i could only imagine how many of you know kids like myself and kids coming up you know in a in the bronx you know or in philadelphia you know with the if they had the the opportunity to to come up around it and to to feel the weight of the badge like you say um and to to know that they're there, you know, the, the U.S. soccer is there to support them and their their aspirations and their goals. You see how many more players want to come through the pipeline and you see how much more talent we're able to produce. Uh, and we, we go into, the, you know, even even more players, you know, aspiring to, to play at the highest levels and now even more competition in the national team and in the MLS and then wanting to go over. So it's 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 a it's a common, um, you know, it's a common theme in other sports. And I think that that is U.S. soccer, you know, what you're saying is is, is what we really need. Um, and, and to, you know, a follow up question to that is, you know, what, what what do you feel like some of the biggest problems, you know, facing black players today? We talk about um, a lack of representation and, and, and whatnot. But, you know, what are what are some of these issues? Because we see them, you know, we, we see a wide range of them. Um, but from your perspective, what would you say? I'd say one of one of the bigger issues is um, a, a lack of connection, you know, to the people in the positions of authority. You know, I, I think that's, I think that's huge. You know, if you look at, you know, the, the varied, varied sports, to be honest, which is, which is sad to say, but within the soccer world, it, it's prevalent where you don't see many black faces, you know, so there is no thought that, okay, that person can relate to the issues that I'm going through and that I'm dealing with. And especially what we've seen over the last year, you know, that's difficult. I, I know from my position as, as a black player within MLS, you know, over the years, I, well, I'm going to go even farther back. You know, I'm going to go back from my youth days. You know, uh, it, it's, it's interesting when you look at this. I'm an example of a black, a young black player not seeing anyone in a position of authority, a coach, a manager, a owner, an administrator. No one that looked like me that was black until I was 19 years old. Imagine that, you know, you're 19 years old. The first person I saw was Clive Charles when he was coaching at Portland, you know, and I was shocked and I was just like, 
oh, okay, you know, there, there are, you know, some black people that are involved in this game besides me, you know, and maybe a few other players, you know, so that that was good to see. And now I, I build upon that until now when we see a lot of the players, you know, at the professional level and you see a lot of the issues, you know, as that, that black men go through, especially within this game and a lot of the racial issues that happen on and off the field around the state, around the stadiums and around the game. I had a lot of that happen to me. I never talked to my coaches because I didn't think that they would understand. You know, I didn't think that they would know anything that, that that would possibly be close to what I'm dealing with with that. And I think that still is prevalent today. You know, when you look at, I mean, even look at some of the pushback when there is, you know, peaceful protest by the players. There is pushback because people, I don't think it's like people hate, you know, like, oh, what are they doing? I think it's they don't understand how much that means and how important it was, you know, to the players. Yeah, that's, I'm trying to think back. I think I had one youth coach that, you know, looked like me, you know, as a, as a kid, and that was my dad. <laughs> it was my dad, you know, and I was like six years old. So and now we look at MLS, you know, even, for example, and we have, let's see, two two black black coaches, you know, and, and Thierry Henry and, and, and Robin Fraser, you know, so to feel like you can connect, you know, and, and speak of openly, you know, with, with those in, in higher positions, you know, those who you interact with on a daily basis um, and will potentially have even more pull than you may have as a player. Um, it's tough. It's tough, you know, because, again, you want to open up. You want to express how you're feeling because it, it ultimately, you know, as much as people talk about the mental aspect of the game, you know, these little issues, they do play a part, you know, subconsciously, you know, in, in how you interact and how you go about your daily, you know, daily life. You know, you, you don't get to go to sleep black and wake up white the next day. You know, you wake up black, go to sleep black, you go to the restaurant black, you go on the pitch black. So this is, you know, again, I say black, is it, but it's not only a, a, an issue for, for black players, you know, but, but players of color um, across the board. Um, so so I think having individuals who you can connect with on a personal level and say, all right, yeah, yeah, I did go through that as well. You know, and I'm here to support you. You know, I'm going to advocate and I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to help you through it as well. You're feeling me. <laughs> and Mark, you know, the point you made of, of Robin Frazier and Thierry Henry, neither are U.S. born, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, Kobe, how important is that next step of, okay, the world is more connected than ever, right? Representation is important. We're seeing people like Mark McKenzie, people like yourself, Kobe, speaking out more and then being connected to the Marcus Rashfords of the world. The world is becoming a lot smaller. But how important is it just on, on uh, within within our, our, our borders to, to increase that representation for the growth of the game. I, I think you, you said it as, as a next step, you know, because you, like you said, Robin Frazier and Terry Henry aren't, you know, uh, American born, but their presence is important, you know, because, because like, like was said, you know, you can look at that face and go, it's a black face. It's like me, you know, so, so there is that. But if we're getting into the minutia and actually talking about, okay, a U.S. born, you know, uh, candidate, it is interesting to me that even when you talk about the uh, Robin Frazier's, who, who was a national team player, played on the national team, you're talking about a ter Terry Henry, like one of the top you know players ever. You talk about a Rude Hullet, one of the top players ever. It's like, are those the the criteria that you're going to put on black coaches? Is that they have to be one of the, arguably one of the best in the world, you know, <laughs> to get a position to be a coach? You know, these are these are things that. Okay, maybe it's not the case, 
But the questions need to be put up front so people can actually think about it and go, oh, wait a second, that that is what's happened so far. You know, it, it, it is. It needs to be brought up in front of people. And these discussions, I think, are important and they need to happen. Yeah, it's it's the uncomfortable one. My dad always said the uncomfortable conversations or the uncomfortable situations are where you grow the most. You know, so I think, again, addressing the issue is, is one thing, but but really diving a little bit deeper than the surface level, because when we look at an iceberg, we look at the tip of the surface, you know, you see this this one piece, but below the surface is this big, big piece of, of ice, you know, that can cause a lot more damage. And I think we're at a point now where, you know, we, we are starting to really see below the surface, um, but it's time for everyone to, to want to see below the surface. And ultimately, that's where we can take next steps. And, and Kobe, full transparency growing up, you know, I, I would be seen as cultural appropriation. Now I would braid my hair like you did when you were a player, when I was a kid, I had a a Kobe Jones, uh, Jersey. Um, and you, you meant everything to me as as a player, right? Because I mean, you didn't look like me. You, 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 I didn't know anything about your background or anything about you other than the fact that you were an incredible, uh, player and and I looked up to you because of the skill sets that you had and I think again that that barrier of entry I think is a is a great question to pose that you said of like do 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 you have to be great in order to be uh, impactful or, or be able to have a, a stage um, and Mark I, w- I would love to know sort of your your era and Kobe's era there there's a gap there and it was probably the tail end as you were as you were growing up but take away from representation in front offices and 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 uh, coaching and all these things because I think those are hugely important. But just for a player like yourself, Mark, what what does it mean to to have somebody that you can look to like Kobe and like others coming through uh, in terms of representation on the pitch? It's it's something that for me helped in in difficult moments. So when I did first experience, you know, my unfortunately, you know, uh, racism and, and prejudice, you know, in the game, you know, knowing that there were guys who came before me who likely went through it just the same but continue to persevere and are playing now at the highest levels you know that's the the little thing that pushes me um even to this day you know of knowing that the guys who came before me they trekked away you know they 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 put a lot into the game they sacrificed a lot you know and they also you know are are setting the tone um and now it's my turn to carry on that torch you know and that's the the way that i've kind of gone about my my career you know as a footballer but also as a as a man you know in society as a black man in society you know wanting to to be the kobe jones and the eddie popes and the you know for for the neck for the next wave of players coming up and seeing that yeah it's tough but you know i have guys who i can who I can connect with, who I can, you know, envision myself as and, and, and continue pushing and moving and knowing that, yeah, I can play at the highest level too. Um, and, and, and I see the guys in my skin tone, you know, doing it, um, doing it just the same. Amazing. All right, Kobe, let's talk a little bit about uh, this Open Cup impact that you want to have. Tell me a little bit about what you want to do with the U.S. Open Cup. The Open Cup, huh? Okay. <laughs> well, I, 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 think this, I think this is interesting when we talk about this, where it it's, tends to get less um, attention, you know, than it did in the past. One thing that I would like to do, uh, would like to do is just see if we can bring back more prominence, you know, to the Open Cup when we're talking about, is there a way where we can, you know, bring attention to the Open Cup and make it 
you know, I, I dream, right? You know, can we make it to the level of what we see in England and, and in Europe, you know, when you're talking about the cup and how important it is? Well, can we do a situation where we can we look for outside sponsors? You know, can we look for people to back, you know, the, the open cup and put more money involved? And this will bring, you know, a lot of the, you know, when we talk about the adults, you know, get more involved as well see that there is more potential there. There's an opportunity to be seen there and see that there's obviously make a little money there, you know, all these type of things that are important that it gives a little bit more prominence in it for, for the open cup. You know, some of the things that we could do, you know, is, is looking at, like I said, see if you can get some sponsorship back and see if you can get some type of television uh, deal. And how do you get the deal with television is like, can we, can we condense the important times of the Open Cup into a three-week, four-week situation where back-to-back -back games happen, where all of a sudden, you know, over a, you know, look, the World Cup actually lasts, what, a month? Well, can we do an Open Cup un under a month, you know, where we're just like, hey, look at these stories? Because how many times do we see, like, a team that hasn't, you know, hasn't really been heard of all of a sudden make a run? Well, you can do those stories, and you can continue to back the stories if it's week-to-week. And you can back and build those stories if it, on, off of those players that are making something special. You know, that would be very different than, okay, we got a game in March and then the next game is in, you know, May. You know, <laughs> the next game is two months later because people's interest, you know, just fade away. But if you can do that back to back to back, all of a sudden you get more interest, more attention. And I'll tell you what, I'd be watching it, you know, nonstop. I love hearing those stories. Yeah, Mark, at the Union, did you guys focus on what was it a big deal, the Open Cup? Yeah. Uh, I mean, in the early rounds or I mean, obviously, once you get to a certain point, it's, uh, you know, there's a trophy on the line. But what but is was there an importance from the start? Yeah, I think I think we always reiterated the Open Cup because I think I think let's see now there's a few there's a few like tournaments in there and whatnot. But the Open Cup is was, you know, aside from from playoffs, that was the big thing, you know, in, in Philly, the gym and. Uh, the staff, you know, they reiterated how, how important it was because, again, at the time we hadn't lifted our first trophy yet. Um, and then we had been to the Open Cup final, I think, twice um, and, and came up short, you know, but we put a lot into that that tournament in wanting to, to, to again, it's a lot of history. You know, uh, a lot of a lot of um, teams, you know, have the potential to, to, to be, you know, that that sleeper story, um, you know, and, and come through. So we, we didn't want to to be that team, you know, who had the firepower to, to go out, you know, so, you know, go out and go out early. Um, and that's why you know, we, we always put a lot into it anytime the Open Cup did come about. Um, but at the same time, it was it was always stretched out. So it was tough to, to get a, a good run um, and keep everybody healthy or or keep the, the momentum the same, you know, going through. Yeah. yeah. Mark, I, I, I love hearing that, you know, but I, I would probably argue that that isn't the norm within, mm -hmm. you know, within MLS, you know, uh, mm -hmm. from, from my time playing and from what I've seen from other teams, just looking at the lineups that they put out there, it's like, okay, well, let's bring up some of the youth, the second mm -hmm. team or bring up some of the academy players and we should win that way. And, you know, oh, we're, we have a road trip on this one. Yeah, we're not going to travel with our usual starters, you know, all those things. I would like to see it where it is significantly important where it is like, yeah, well, let's bring the starters, you know, out for that one. Let's make the friendlies, you know, that all the teams play. Let's make those the ones where, you know, the players play 15, 20 minutes and say goodbye, you know, rather than the Open Cup. Right, right. I, I, that was that was my take on it. Well, I, again, I was a young player, so, you know, I was given an opportunity in, in the Open Cup, but it was, 
yeah, I think that if we, we put more emphasis on it, you know, I think if it got more attention, if it got more, uh, if it had more excitement surrounding it, um, there's no doubt that it could take off for sure. Uh, but it comes down to, again, you know, people want to see the big name players on the pitch, right? They want to see the, 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 the firepower out there competing head to head. Um, and, and if you're only doing that, you know, in the latter rounds, then you're going to lose the, the, the momentum of steam, you know, by the, by the second round of the tournament. Yeah, I, I think there's there's something incredible, Kobe, about one having it be in a condensed window, because I think there's there is a value to that and, and the momentum around around tournament play. Right. I think, two, you have the ability to bring in a wider fan base, more American style sports fans that are into knockout competitions. March Madness is huge. Uh, you know, college football is huge. Anything that has an elimination or even though it, it's a little more arbitrary in college football, but anything that's heading towards a, a, a climax or, or a destination, I think, is a way to bring people in. We're also seeing, like you mentioned, Kobe, these teams on these Cinderella runs. And it's been a long time since I think a USL team has, has uh, or, or a lower division team has won um, the Open Cup, but it's 100 plus years old, I think. And now you're 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 looking at ways to connect all these fan bases, right? It's no longer where if you have an MLS team, great, or you have a European team. Now you have teams that play in third, fourth divisions where it's not about the quality of the team. It's about this community aspect, right? And they connect with other teams. And the Open Cup is truly the one, for me, just from a pure fan standpoint, that makes me think like this is the one thing that could rally an entire country to give some attention to local communities up to regional, up to national, and it can be done in an affordable way. And brands that are national brands can get behind it and help to propel this thing forward. Because when you look at it and it's empty stadiums and MLS teams are playing their second teams and you hear barely briefly about some of these stories like Christos FC and stuff where it's like semi-professional amateurs working and, and then it goes away. It's a huge disappointment, right? I think it's the most powerful tool that we have in the U.S. Bigger than bigger than league, bigger than MLS Cup, bigger than Supporter Shield is the Open Cup. So I, you know, I can stand behind the wanting to see that come to life in a way that is inclusive of the entire country. Cause, cause again, so much more of, of, of soccer here. It, it, I mean, there's so much more to it than just major league soccer or the biggest teams. I, I completely agree there. You know, that that's, that's what we have to understand. You know, uh, of course, you know, all the soccer fans will, will know this, but the, for the layman that doesn't is the open cup, all of a sudden you are tapping into communities that do that, that don't have an MLS team in the state. You know, you're, you're dealing and bringing in those communities and it's tight knit. And and let's let's be honest, when you see it in, in, in Europe, you know, we can create something like that, too, where it is fantastic to see the local fan base get behind the team and travel, you know, across their own state, you know, playing a, another potential team. These are some of the things that that are exciting that make this the sport what it's all about, where it's more, you know, the Open Cup is more about the joy of competition rather than okay i'm what's my salary and the paycheck you know so i think this is this is one of those things where you can kind of get back to the roots you know of the game and the fun of what it's all about the the last thing i would say about that is there does have to be a monetary incentive for for all teams right if you look at champions league uh, as a tournament and you can't compare it to to uefa champions league or europa league but Going into the qualifiers each round, but look, you 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 finish third in an obscure league. You get into a, a a Europa League or a Champions League qualifier for each round you go to make the Europa League from the first round of Europa League is like four rounds of qualification, right? And you have teams that finish second in Finland, and th every game that they advance 
earns them a ton of money that contributes to their community, contributes to the sustainability of the clubs. And when you look at the Open Cup, you're not, you know, there's enough rounds to where it's not going to be significant, but a win or two for 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 a fourth or semi-professional team in 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 any place could be pretty significant, right? It could be their operating budget for a year to to get a few rounds in. And there needs to be that incentive. And then on top of that, you look at the FA Cup this year and, you know, the the um, they had sold 21,000 virtual tickets for a game for I don't remember what team it was to play against. I think it was Manchester United or whatever, right? It's hugely significant for these teams to have home games to bring big stars into the area. And and really, that helps to sustain these smaller clubs. It helps to, to, to develop these, these areas, makes people passionate, also brings exposure to the bigger clubs in places that they might not be. Um, yeah, I mean, I could go on all day about the importance of this or the value of this. So, I, you know, I would love to see that that come to life. Yeah, I think that that you put it out there pretty well. You know, I didn't want to get it put it out there that no, that there were not going to have financial incentives. Of course, that needs to be there because I think that kind of gives that that competition that I was talking about and gives that that um, that feel of energy at the local level of what you said, where it's like, oh, if we win this, all of a sudden, you know, we're we're feeling pretty good, and people and players are going to go out and fight for that, and, and that's just the nature of, of people. If you say, hey, you win this game, you get you get. X amount of money, and then you go on to the next level for possibly more. That's what it's all about. You know? <laughs> that, that's that's what it's all about, and I think that builds the excitement. You know, and that's where I think we could see a build off of you, where if that money does become more, all of a sudden it's taken more seriously and at that uh, community level. And I think you'd see a lot more stories, a lot more interest, and, and a lot more stories to be told. I think you guys would be working like fifteen times as hard with everything going on during that month. If we could get this going, exactly. All right, Kobe. Listen, any lo- any closing thoughts on on your campaign or anything you want to share with the people that are listening to this or that will listen to this podcast before we move on to uh, you know going after you for your 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 incredible career. <laughs> uh, you know, look, look for the, for the campaign. You know, I, I just want people to realize the reason the, the reason I'm doing this is for what I've I've said. It is for increasing the representation and access out there and, and along that third tier, that third pillar of advocating, you know, for that. I'm not getting in it for anything else for, for any future gains or glory. You know, I'm not going to say that like, okay, if uh, something else does come up or a president and stuff like that, because I've been asked that quite a few times, that's not my plan. Yes, I would look at it if it did come up, but I'm not going to say, you know, right now that that's my, that's my goal. I'm, I'm all about putting in items that are actionable currently and quickly. Because like you mentioned earlier, Heath, a lot of people talk about it, but not a lot of it gets done. And I want to get it done. I want to see if we can find a way to get it done. And, and I don't know everything. I, I'm telling everybody that I don't know everything and I probably make mistakes, but I'm willing to go out and talk to the right people that do know what needs to be done. I like that. So let's let's shift over to uh, your your playing career. You know, um, it's, a lot. It's, it's a it's a big list. Yeah, you are the most uh, most capped uh, American ever. Is that true? Uh, male American. I almost caught you on that one. Kobe's on his toes right now. You had an incredible run over over a long period of time, and and obviously your name sort of bounces off the walls of everywhere as as just a legend in 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 the in the 
in the national team. I didn't get a chance to play with you in the national team. Now I just spend most of my time making you in pickup ball, um, <laughs> which, which, you know, they say, don't meet me. You never want to meet your heroes. Uh, but I did. And now that I'm making him, it just makes me reevaluate. Like, is he still my hero? Um, talk about, talk about your career within the context of, of where things are now. Um, you've obviously done a lot in the broadcast side, but, but nothing, you know, no offense, but very little, uh, in, in your life could, could sort of, um, overshadow the accomplishments you had on the field. So sort of talk to me about where soccer was kind of where it is now, where you're seeing it going. Uh, so somebody like Mark McKenzie, uh, you know, could have a little respect for the old dogs, you know? All right. All right. All right. Listen, these guys, was, listen <laughs> these guys got no respect, Kobe. These guys have no respect. You know listen, what I mean? Kobe, don't listen to, don't listen to this guy. You respect those who came before you, you know, except if they have, you know, he's, he's here, you know, that's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's just too handsome. He's just too yeah. hot. Yeah. Um, uh, well, it, it, it's interesting, right? You know, soccer for me was uh, growing up in the 70s and that, that's whew, that's way back, you know, so it, it was a different animal. I think a lot of people forget, like if you wanted to watch a soccer game on TV when I was like six, seven, eight years old, you had to go to a, a, a Mexican restaurant, pay a fee to get in to see a game. You know, there was no soccer on regular TV. You know, this, this is this is part of the a lot of the issues from back in the day and, and it shows you how far we've come. And the reason I, I put this out there is that I just want people to realize that to have been a soccer player during that era, you had to be dedicated and love the game, <laughs> you know, because there, there was no thought of for me and I'm sure for many others of playing soccer professionally at, at that time. I just played it because I loved playing the game, you know? So for me over the years, you know, playing up, playing soccer in Southern California and, and kind of slowly getting more and more into the sport, it was just, you know, the love increasing. And to be quite frank, I fell into, I, I fell into what I have today. You know, that, that, that's what it came, comes about. I love the game so much that I never wanted to quit. I wanted to keep playing at every level, um, you know, through high school, you know, all these teams, you know, that I, I tell the story how like during my high school years, you know, there was the, the, the seat when you get voted for CIF and one of the coaches was talking about that I was the worst player that he had ever seen, you know, the things like this. These are those little stuff. He should see you now, Kobe. He should see you now, you know, I got to look him up. I don't know where <laughs> that guy is, you know, anymore. but you know, I, I, you know, and from there is walking on to UCLA, uh, playing the four years at, at UCLA under Ziggy Schmidt, you know, God rest his soul, um, you know, and him kind of backing me and, and getting me onto the national B team. This is when we had a national B team, you know, so you could, you could, uh, I started traveling around the world and playing, you know, and eventually made the national team and, and you know, and, and so on. You know, it, it's a very broad, you know, um, career. And I did a lot of things, you know, with it. And the one thing that I, I say, one of the best things that soccer gave me outside of, you know, playing the game and, and the friendships was the ability to travel and see the world. You know, because that's one thing that I loved to do with it, because it allowed me to do so many things, you know, that other people would will, would never and will never be able to do. And I think that just broadened my horizons, you know, on on the expectations of myself and what I want to do for my family now is just to let them know that, you know, you play. I don't even say soccer, but I say you play a sport, you know, the things you learn from it and the possibilities that you can gain from it will really help you in the future. Yeah, I mean. Let's we, we talk about traveling the world. Um, the '94 World Cup. I kind of want to tap into that a little bit. Um, you were you weren't on a professional club yet, right? It was no, it. no. 
yeah, I yeah. wasn't. I was, we were straight out of uh, you know college. It's it's crazy how how like the tide has shifted now, where where it's like college is is now, and no disrespect to college, because I I went to Wake Forest, you know, I played in college, um, and now it's like the 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 wave is to go straight from from the academy to to the first team and, and so on and so forth. Um, but but how did that World Cup World Cup set up your your career? That World Cup set up my career um, because. You know, I was one of the young players on the team, right? And 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 as as we know, the World Cup isn't just the the month long tournament that we see. It's that whole year or year and a half buildup beforehand, where you go through the qualifiers, you know. And people forget, and this is this is what he's trying to get at, where Mark, where you're you're a youngster, you don't know. You, no respect. You, you know, when we did a camp, a camp before that World Cup that started in uh, late '92 and ended at the World Cup. So we we lived together for over a year, like we always say, just like two years yeah. together, a group training down in Mission Viejo every single day, sometimes twice a day, as Bor Militinovich had the coach. And Mark, let me tell you, those training sessions, they weren't how how now it's like, okay, an hour, 15 hour. I, I promise you this, and you can ask any of the guys who were down there, that some of the training sessions were two and a half to three hours. Okay, so let me give you a, a standard day. You wake up, you get to the training site, you know, around eight, you know, you have a meeting for an hour beforehand. And Mark, you would go over, you know, why should this person not pass the ball, you know, on this play? And Bor Militonovich, love the guy to death, but <laughs> he could go off of that for an hour, hour and a half. Then you have a three hour training session. Then you have about an hour to eat. And then you come back and have another two hour, two and a half hour session. And basically all you want to do at that point is go home and sleep. And it that's now imagine doing that for two years. <laughs> that's when you learn to be tough, Mark. That's how you learn to be tough. Yeah, I mean, hearing that, man. Uh yeah, we're, we're not gonna talk about your know, trainers nowadays. You know, it's, you know, we got like a tough hour and a half, maybe that's like a long session, but you know, three, two and a half, you know, moving more the tactical side, you know, we teeter off a little bit, you know, go through some X's and O's, slide shift, you know, I will, Hey, Mark, I will say, though, that's going to change for you in Europe, man. Your life, you're going to have those double sessions Let in me, between. You're going to maybe play little video games or maybe play poker, but you're going to have that second session. You're going to watch a lot, a lot more video, a lot more attention to detail, um, so I hope I hope you love the game because there's not going to be a lot of those 1 p.m. home, <laughs> take a nap, watch, champ, get up for Champions League, you know, like that sort of stuff. Man, let me tell you something, bro. We had, I think I had my second double day yesterday. And, bro, we played 4v4, half field, you know, with the 18. And then you had loser of the games, had runs at the end. And then you would, we did that like four or five times. And then we still had a second session in the evening, early afternoon, evening. And man, let me tell you how nice my bed felt at, at 7 p.m. I have never wanted to go to sleep so early. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. When you when you hit those double days, the, the only thing you're thinking about after that session is where are you wh who's delivering you food that day? You know, like that's it. You're not cooking. You're not doing any of that stuff. Just like that's the end of your, end of your day. Kobe, I got a question for you, though. We, we've talked about this a lot, and it, it, it's different, right? You talked about if you wanted to see soccer back in the 70s, you had to go to a Mexican restaurant or bar, pay to get in. Otherwise, you weren't getting it. When I was growing up, it was like you could get – you had uh, Fox Sports World a little bit that had like Newcastle and Man United on, right? That was the only accessibility. My whole dream growing up was to play 
for the national team. And that was it. I didn't have a club. I didn't have like I never dreamed of going abroad. I dreamed of playing in a World Cup. I dreamed of playing for the national team. And that was literally the only soccer dream I had because that was really all I could I could see. Was it the same for you or or did you have a, a club that you dreamed of playing for? I'm talking about like in the in your like formative years or was it purely national team for you as well? It wasn't it wasn't there at all. <laughs> you know, uh, I didn't. I didn't really have like soccer to look up to because you couldn't see, I'm telling you, you couldn't see anything. So imagine if there's a big game, you go watch, you go watch it at a Mexican restaurant. And, and, and mind you, it wasn't just like any game that they would show, you know, it had to be like a, maybe a U.S. Mexico, you know, so how often does that happen? You know, so there'd be stints where I wouldn't see a soccer game when I was younger in my, the early years or the early teens until you know months and months apart so there was no team not even the national team where i was like yeah that's my goal that's my dream you know i didn't start thinking about the possibility of doing more with soccer until um i started going with the national b team or i started getting the i don't know if they, i don't think they have them anymore but the olympic festivals you know back in the day in the 88 89 you know, so I was 18, 19 years old where I was like, oh, there's possibly something more there. But, you know, that imagine that until you're 19. That's that's a full professional now. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's nowadays you can't go anywhere without seeing a, a you know, football game. Like I've seen more probably in the last like four to six years, you know, going past like a restaurant and, and the game. There's a, there's a football game on or, or a soccer game on. You know, or you go into, uh, I'm 21 now, so I can say I, I went into a bar before, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, they got a, a, a game on. So it's like the tide has really shifted in that way. The accessibility to seeing matches, it's it's what, it's like you got Peacock, you got NBC Sports, you got, you got Fox, you got, uh, you know, all these channels, ESPN, where you can watch a game without having to really, you know, you got a $5 subscription or whatever. But, you know, for the most part, a lot of these games you can, just turn on your TV, you know, and click right to it. Um, and that's, that's you know, very interesting, you know, that you brought that point up. Um, and, and now kind of moving into to 2026, you know, with the World Cup, you know, uh, the 2026 World Cup. And I don't want to overshadow the 2022 World Cup because that's, you know, on the horizon. But, you know, 26 being, you know, here in, in North America, what do you hope that U.S. soccer fans and American fans in general, you know, take away from this opportunity? You know, now now that we have so much exposure of the game here in the country. Well, I, I hope that we get another uh, another level up, you know, so to speak. I mean, that's what happened the last time when soccer was here in, in the United States. It really helped us kind of uh, um, jumpstart, you know, so much, you know, within within the game and. Yeah, 2022, you know, I always say that there's the opportunity for the sport to grow if, if the teams make it in. Uh, but when you talk about 26, where it's actually will be here, you know, that, you know, we can possibly do so much more. And, and not only leveling up within the game and the possibilities that we can do on the men's and the women's side, you know, for when there's men's World Cup and the women's World Cups, but what can we leave behind with it? You know, can we leave some type of legacy, you know, behind after the 2026 World Cup is here. I think that's going to be extremely important to really figure out. And I think a lot of minds, you know, um, with a lot of experience within the game and a lot of business minds, a lot of, lot of uh, social, social, uh, socially attuned minds are going to have to come together. And a lot of soccer minds can come together and say, okay, look, they're going to make a lot of money. 
there's going to be a lot of sponsorship, but it's like, okay, how do we, you know, distribute those funds afterwards? Where do we put those funds? Can we get value, you know, out of those funds afterwards and leave that legacy behind that really has an impact on the soccer community? I like that. That's well said. My my only goal for 2026 is that Mark remembers both of us, Kobe. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not. E- I'm not even sure. I'm 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 not even sure if either of us texted him after 2022. We'd get a text back, but 2026. Listen here, listen here, listen here. Just because I haven't sent the jersey yet, he don't mean you got it. Listen, I will do what I got to do. Okay, I'll pull strings. I will I will sell my shin guards and my boots to make sure that these field side, uh, you know. Stadium backstage in the locker room for the post game press conferences. These passes are handed out to Heath Pierce and Kobe Jones. You have my word. I, w- I would say maybe just some engraved, like we can engrave the backside of a Rolex for me and Kobe. To be nice, <laughs> just to, I, I mean, look, I, I'll I'll put the ticker, uh, the the ticket up on the wall with the signed jersey and all that stuff, which will be forever. But maybe a little something something extra by the time you get to that point. All right, let's move this thing to the close. Mark, hit this man with some rapid fire, um, so we could, so we could actually we we could we could kind of take a look behind the curtain of this Kobe Jones guy. Favorite player of all time. Ooh, and I know this is controversial, but I'm going to say uh, it: Diego Maradona. Okay. Favorite U.S. Men's National Team player of all time. Me. Mm, I like respect. That. Also, respect. also, I do want. I do want to say that, that Kobe lived in Hollywood a long time, so he might. There might be some <laughs> correlations between him and 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 uh, Diego. May, maybe had a, a a night on a night on the town here and there. You know, I loved him as a player. Oh, and he God. came by during the Copa America. Hey, that's not part of rapid on. fire, man. The rapid fire. We ask the question, you answer hey, it. You don't get to explain. He put three nothing on on uh, Argentina in the Copa America, and he came into the locker room and said, "Good job." Did he? <laughs> We're gonna have to get that's some, awesome. some behind all behind the scenes, you know, inside scoop on this stuff, man. He came yeah, in and said, "Good job for real." Yeah, he was giving it, he gave us props. Yeah, he came into the locker room. I think it was after we beat uh, Argentina or Chile. We were beating everybody back then. Oh, total flex, total flex, yeah, total flex. All right, last last thing. All right, we have a public Spotify list, you know, um, and, and we're asking all our guests to throw a track on it. Um, it could be you know a pre-match song from when you were a player or a song that you're feeling now. Um, I put on the Jogo Bonita song, you know, uh, Mais Que Nada. Um, Heath, you know, he wanted to to kind of be hip and, and he threw Biggie in there. Um, we had yeah Chris Richards, you know, he, he doing you know some a modern uh, modern hip hop artist T Grizzly. Moa Dude put on Meek Mill, Dreams and Nightmares. So we got a wide range of stuff going on here. Um, what would you throw on the Spotify playlist? It has to be it'd be some probably maybe some Tupac uh, or uh, or Biggie you know that, that that era of that yeah I know it was a feud but that's my hey pick an artist and pick a song Kobe we're not letting you out of this man <laughs> come on you get to add you get to add an artist and a song to this playlist let's go California Love okay all right all right all right. Well, look, Kobe, thank you so much for joining us, man. We wish you all the best for uh, your run for, for Veep. And uh, yeah, it's great having you and great hearing your perspective. And, you know, hopefully that that inches Mark McKenzie one step closer towards, you know, just remembering where it all started and, and having a little respect for us, you know? Mm, boy, here we go. I, I appreciate that, Ethan. And, and thanks to both of you guys. And Mark, remember, hey, we're, we're always there for you, you know? Yeah. We're only a phone call away if you need any help and advice. You know? No, no, I old appreciate heads, it. Old heads. Yeah, the OGs, the OGs. No, I appreciate y'all. I appreciate y'all. And again, thank you, Kobe, for hopping on here, man. Really appreciate it. Um, and, and all the best. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm rooting you on.
Thanks, guys. Man, Mark, what a guy Kobe is, huh? If we could only, if we could only be a portion or a fraction of him, we, we'd be all right. Absolute legend, you know. I mean, for you, you probably have a little more doing, you know, work to do than, than I do. But it's all good, man. It's all love, you know. You still, you still a goat in my eyes. I do want to say good game to you, though. You did well today. No, no, no yeah, I appreciate it. Good game to you as well. You know, I give you a fist bump, you know, because Kobe's still running rapid. So, you know, fist bump yep. or elbow, fist bump, you feel, yep. you know, air high five. Yeah, but yeah, it was great. It was great. Um, and guys, listen, that's that's the end of this episode. But make sure you go follow us on social at Slice of Soccer. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, and if there's things you want, you know, follow us on there. Hit us up. Hit us up on our personal platforms. Um, and we will catch you next time. Peace.